Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to The Roy Green Show podcast. So many people across this country have uh, viewed the video of the fight and stabbing on the Toronto subway train. It's resulted in an attempted murder charge against Moses Lewin, 25 years of age, no fixed address, attempted murder, aggravated assault, assault with a weapon, and two counts of failing to comply with a release order. So Mr. Lewin obviously has had other experiences with the justice system. If you saw the fight, and it's on social media in lots of places, the one individual who got stabbed seemed to be getting the better of the fight, and then the knife arrives, and you can see the blood starting to form, the blood stain forming on the T-shirt of the, uh, the gentleman who was stabbed, who was in critical condition when they took him to hospital. So what's going on? Because in the early 90s, we did a number of, oh, we did several years of programs of criminal activity and issues with the justice system in this country. And things changed when people got fed up. And the government changed the law. Those laws were appealed. They went to the Supreme Court of Canada. Some of them were upheld. Some of them were turned over, overturned. The Supreme Court of Canada now, to these days, is a far more liberal court than it was in the, in the early 90s. Terrible situation in that subway train in Toronto. Just thinking about the passengers on that car. They couldn't get off until the train stopped. But obviously, they were terrified. Another story, same city. It could be any city, but in Toronto, a woman shot and killed in the middle of the day near a daycare center. Police believe the woman had no connection to the three people who became engaged in an argument which resulted in the shooting. Ari Goldkind's criminal lawyer in Toronto. He's a media commentator. Ari always calls it the way he sees it. So, Ari, what's the context with this subway fight, what's the context? Well, Roy, good afternoon. Hi. You know, it really depends on whether there's an appetite for truth in this discussion. About 95% of Canadians who are rational, sane, commonsensical have been muzzled by the wokeness, identity politics, and political correctness of the day. And it's really important to put in context the two stories that you just mentioned. There's a third that we'll get to if we have time. But the two, the shooting, where an innocent woman, known, loved, married, shot, when there's a fight between three black men and a stray bullet, kills her. Broad daylight in Toronto, a city that in my view is dying, and a mayoral election just last week ensured that the death will come more quickly. The subway stabbing, for your listeners who haven't seen the video, they should. Moses Lewin, an ironic first name of all first names, butchers, while he is out on bail, this is an important part of the story, Roy, butchers, while he is out on bail, this Caucasian or some kind of Caucasian-looking man on a subway car filled with non-Caucasians. Watch the video you will be hard-pressed to find a Caucasian. Why does that matter? Because this 
crime wave in my city is not only affecting the usual people that you are not allowed to defend or talk about anymore, the law-abiding, the civilized. It is affecting everybody. And if you look at that subway car, the number of Asian young people on that car, the number of black people on that car going to work or going to school or going to support their families, the idea that we cannot have an honest national conversation about crime, criminals, criminality, but you're only allowed to talk about identity when it serves the woke grifters. This political correctness, Roy, the theme has to be here all the way up to Ottawa, is that this political correctness and wokeness is costing people their lives. And if you don't agree with me, and many people won't, because many people want a virtue signal and call themselves the woke of the woke, imagine if that young man butchered on the subway was your brother. Imagine if that lady shot because three young men, and we again, we have to dance around, three young men. Imagine if that lady was your sister, your wife, your mother, your co-worker. Only when people start internalizing the fact that just because it didn't happen to you doesn't make it nauseating, sickening, and disgusting. Only when you imagine that this is somebody you care about will you start to understand that our country, Roy, is in extraordinarily, extraordinarily serious trouble. This is now a feature of our society, not a bug, but as you well know, Roy, Everybody has to tiptoe around this, and it's absolutely sickening. Interesting you raise that point, because when I was very active in pursuing justice issues in the early 90s, Harry, and I did programs from inside prisons with inmate committee um, members. I did two of them. And some of the most highly profiled criminals who had 75 convictions behind them when we were still being released and committing more crimes, including shooting a 21-year-old police officer in, uh, in Sudbury. They were white. And I'm not trying to, I'm not challenging what you're saying as far as the relevance of the discussion is concerned. But I, I'm just, I, I, I don't want to sound like I'm politically correct, but where does race actually fit into this, Ari, from your perspective as a criminal lawyer? 100% from a criminal law point of view, and I speak for nobody other than myself. I, am, I, I can assure you, Roy, I am not beloved in my profession because while I'm very proud to be a criminal defense lawyer and I defend anybody to the nth degree who needs my help, I believe in that. I believe in advocacy. You've asked me a very direct question that nobody will dare talk about, and the answer is this. You will read right now, and the Roy Green audience can go and Google right now, the term overrepresented in jails. You will be told on one million Google searches that black and indigenous people are overrepresented in jails. There's never a discussion about it. There's never a question of why that is. And the statistics are there, Roy, for your audience. What groups commit crime in what proportions? You can look up Japanese old ladies. You could look up Jewish rabbis, you could look up imams, you could look up the Dalai Lama, you could look up Norwegians. Police and Stats Canada keep statistics of which group at at per capita or other global measurements commit crimes. 
Why does this matter? Because rather than having an honest discussion of what's going on here, how do we stop this? Are we going to take the handcuffs off of police? Are we going to stop being politically correct? You mentioned a detail to your audience, Roy, and I, don't, I know we don't have a ton of time, but you mentioned a detail. Moses Lewin was on bail yep. at the time, yep. okay? Yep. He's at the, on bail at the time that he butchers this young man on a subway car in Toronto, a subway car in Toronto, by the way, which is the scene of crime after crime after crime. Our criminal code and David Lametti, the worst justice minister in the history of justice ministers, and that's saying something, Roy, trust me, the criminal code codifies that if you are black or indigenous, the judge or justice of the peace must bend over backwards or do cartwheels. I am paraphrasing, obviously, but it's right in the criminal code that if you are black or indigenous, you have a better, more increased chance of bail than a Caucasian, an Asian, um, you know, a Pakistani. It's insane. And if we're going to have criminal codification of that, this is what it leads to where the simple notion should be, is somebody a risk? Is somebody dangerous? Or are they not? This social engineering, Roy, is not working. And for those who disagree with me and say, how can he say this? And how dare he say this out loud? I not only am a criminal defense lawyer and would defend the men who do this, I am also a citizen who lives in the world where I don't simply say to myself, well, I live in a nice area and this won't happen to me, I'm immune. This is somebody's brother, this is somebody's mother, this is somebody's wife. So unless we're going to have a conversation of all aspects of race, religion, criminality, all of it, I'm sorry, I don't clutch my pearls when you're only allowed to talk about one aspect of it, but you can't talk about all of it. Ari, I, I, I mentioned this, uh, this work I'd done on the uh, origins, the ethnicity, the linguistic origins, the race of, of victims. And I'm going to see if I can find it. It was a long time ago, but I'll see if I can find it. Yep. But I can best describe this, and I'll ask you to share your thoughts in a moment. But I want to tell you this. That was, I guess it was probably 95 or 96, and I was working out of uh, 640 in Toronto, and there had been a number of police shootings, and I just spontaneously on the air one morning asked, four words, do you trust police? So this turned into five days of nonstop three-hour programming. Five days. That never happens, Ari. Never happens. And it was so incredible to listen to people because it took on a, a direction in life of its own. We had mothers. We had fathers. We had young people. We had police officers. We had doctors and nurses. You name it, they were calling in. And we had a young black rap group listening to the show. They wrote and recorded a song about the program, and they came into the studio and we played it on the air. And this is what, what I'm getting at with you now is when you said we have to have an open and frank discussion in this country, those five days will always be absolutely um, in my mind as an example of what happens when a community says, yeah, let's talk. So here's where I'm going to take my part on this, all right? Because people hear me talking about Moses Lewin, and you, you mentioned I am a criminal defense lawyer, very lucky, very successful at it, and I would defend Moses Lewin to the nth degree if he called me. Nobody should make that mistake of not understanding how proud I am of what I do, okay? I know people find that oxymoronic, or they don't go together, but we don't have enough time to get into that segment. 
let me respond to what you just said. And I'm going to give a personal anecdote, which I very rarely do in my media life. Many, many years ago, about nine years ago in a political life, I decided I would explore that. And I ran on a pretty strong anti-police platform because I'm a criminal defense lawyer. I cross-examine police for a living. And I've seen a lot of lying. And as because I wasn't a name at that time, I went door to door. And where did I go to door, door to door? Particularly and predominantly black neighborhoods. And I went thinking, you know, I'm going to hear a lot of anti-police rhetoric. Get them out of the schools, get them out of housing, get them out of our areas. Because about 2 to 5% of the woke grifters, the Ben Crumps of the world, particularly post-May 2020, Make it seem like the whole entire universe, black, brown, white, you know, green, orange, everybody hates the police. The one lesson I learned, Roy, and I've never forgotten it, I can tell you to this day what doors I knocked on was, you know, they call me Mr. Goldkind. My real name is Ari. I don't call my Mr. Goldkind. They say, Ari, I don't know what you're talking about. We are being taken advantage of by an extraordinarily small number of people of our own group, of our own background, very young men, now sort of 13 to 25. And Ari, I'm only interrupting to tell you I have 60 seconds. No problem. I'm going to finish, which is at that point, they would say to me, we have as as much right, and they're right, to live the same way Justin Trudeau lives, behind closed doors, to have the same security that all the wealthy people and the 100,000 heirs and the millionaires who have private security details who seem to speak for people don't almost to a person they wanted more police to ensure that just because they don't make as much money as you or me or trudeau or anybody else that you can name they have the right to dignity to be away from drugs away from guns and away from the extraordinarily small number of people who create this havoc it's a lesson i never forgot i don't think this is a racial discussion and those that try and make it racial I think are complete grifters. I think I did that in under 60 seconds. You certainly did. There's little question China has interfered with uh, in Canada's internal matters. And now, of course, the Hong Kong city government has issued bounties on Canadians like former Hong Kong political leader Dennis Kwok. So the issue becomes of even greater concern. Kenny Chu, the former conservative member of parliament in British Columbia, joins us. Kenny, thank you so much. I always appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Hi, Roy. Uh, It's been uh, my great pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Um, What do you make of where we stand now in the pursuit of a public inquiry into into China's interference in Canada's internal issues like our elections? Are you encouraged? Are you cautious? How are you responding to the news today? Well, I've been to many Canadian media uh, interviews, and one of the common questions they ask me is, am I going to run again? Well, my answer has been, and I will consistently uh, continue that, and that is, um, you know, if if this problem is not fixed, then why bother? Uh, we we know that the country is um, open, uh, open field for foreign interference. Yes, not just for Chinese, but especially resourced and also ambitious is the Chinese Communist Party in Canada. So. The you know I, I proposed this bill uh, like two years ago, um, and the government was completely not even lukewarm. They're not interested, but it looks like that, that you know this 
this uh, sentiment has not changed. Uh, they, they are, it's like pulling teeth from the governing liberals. Uh, one would not be blamed for thinking that there is some reason why they're not interested in supporting. But if, if, we, if this is not fixed right now, uh, our next uh, election could be in jeopardy because of, you know, there is people are, are wondering there's confidence problem and all that. And it's been two years since CESAs had actually tabled a report for the government that MPs were under targets by the Chinese Communist Party. And yet we are seeing that the government is not doing much. And what I want to see is, you know, it's not a comprehensive, uh, you know, silver bullet that will stop all foreign interference from any country in the world. No, we understand it's an incremental process. But, you know, to to start with, to stop uh, any foreign um, uh, lobbyist um, from from interfering with a government to to introduce a Australian like foreign uh, transparency act, it's a piece of cake. All you have to do is just introduce it, debate it, amend it, and pass it. Hey, in the Senate there is already uh, something that proposed by Senator Leo Husako since February last year, and so I think I think that my sentiment is I'm frustrated, I'm I'm disappointed. Uh, it looks like that the the government doesn't seem to be genuinely interested in solving this problem. No, and you know, a, a registry of foreign nationals or anyone who's who's lobbying on behalf of another nation is just a fundamental step in protecting your sovereignty. Absolutely, Roy. I mean, and we are not infringing on anybody's political. Uh, rights in exercising their, you know, what they want to do. If you want to lobby the government to remove Taliban uh, from the from the terrorist list because you got some money or interest from the Taliban government, Africa, Afghanistan, you can continue to do that. All you have to do is just be transparent, register, and have an entry in that so that journalists such as yourself and, and other colleagues of yours could actually ask some questions, and maybe it's all about Ford. Um, I, I think this is uh, the easiest, lowest hanging fruit, and yet the government doesn't seem to be interested, and they mix it all up with anti-Asian racism and all that kind of crazy stuff. Are you confident? I'll choose that word advisedly. Mm-hmm. Are you confident that if a public inquiry moves forward, I said if, and if they choose a person who's agreeable to all the political parties. Are you confident that Mr. Trudeau and the Liberal Party, the Liberal government, will participate with enthusiasm, integrity, and a determination to really do something of significance and value to the country? Uh, no, I don't, I'm not confident that they will participate in that process with enthusiasm and integrity. I think so far, what I have observed in the past couple of years is that they will respond uh, when the when when they're within, when when they're cornered, when there is no other option, they will take one small step. Um, but I still believe that a a foreign uh, influence registries will eventually arrive in Canada. Um, that may have to go through, um, you know, a, a different. Uh, government, a different party. 
uh, or maybe the the liberals would see that they're cornered, they, they don't have any other choice. Um, but one way or the other, they will do it, albeit that they uh, may not be enthusiastic and excited about it. I've never asked you this question, but I want to ask it now. What does it feel like? What did it feel like to you as an incumbent conservative member of parliament in British Columbia when you lost the 21 election and you know that China actively campaigned, Beijing actively campaigned against you on social media and in other ways, no doubt, in this country and in your writing to defeat you, to, to know that the, a power as significantly influential as China worked to get you unelected. How did it feel the morning after? Betrayal, um, because I, I value my Canadian citizenship. I know a lot of was born in Hong Kong, uh, a place where it does not offer, uh, offer me any nationality or, or citizenship. And this is the country that I look up to, Canada, and I, I put my, my heart into it, and I worked very hard, you know, for decades as a software development professional, and then later on to uh, run for office. And so I, I have high expectation of what the country will protect, um, you know, Canadians such as myself, um, and, you know, against foreign powers. And I see that there is a whole... That's why in my term as, as a member of parliament, I decided to plug, to propose something to plug the hole. Yeah. Um, but it looks like that, uh, you know, David Johnson is right. It, it's way too partisan. It looks like that when Christia Freeland is threatened by Russia, they will do something to stamp that hole. But when they are the beneficiary, uh, to me, it looks like that they are not willing. They, they, they will continue to sit there and be benefited. And, and so it's, it's a huge sellout to me. Um, you know, I, I, I have a deep sense of betrayal, uh, by my country. Uh, and I know that it's not, it's not Canada, but we are a democratic country. Uh, the country elected the liberal party of Canada, Justin Trudeau as the government, as the prime minister, in a sense, I felt like I'm, you know, I, I, I wasn't protected as, um, you know, a, a member of parliament did. If you, if any of your audience listened to what Aaron O'Toole said uh, in the House of Commons, um, you know, the, the point of privilege, meaning that as a member of parliament, uh, they are threatened for representing Canadian interests uh, because of uh, issues that they, they brought up in the House of Commons. Well, that's exactly what it is. I think our um, rights and our privilege uh, has been infringed by these foreign powers. And it is incumbent for the government, uh, whoever, you know, whichever party is in place to protect uh, this fundamental right that we have. If we have a public inquiry, it's going to get pretty close to, if not ex uh, extend beyond an election date in 2025. Do you have confidence? I keep using this word. Do you have confidence that a public inquiry, uh, no matter what the result is, it will really affect change. Will China respect, be concerned about, um, decide to alter its behavior and attitude and uh, position toward Canada? Well, Roy, I don't think, you know, the, the, the public inquiry or even its recommendations being fully implemented. Yeah, 
yeah, I, I don't think I don't think it. You know, any public inquiry will uh, will stamp and completely stop uh, foreign interference because these are uh, very um, ambitious countries, and they see Canada as the weakest link. So their effort will continue. Uh, it, it's just that the non-action. It's also sending a message to uh, these countries and especially the most ambitious of all and resource, resourceful of all, being the, uh, the Chinese Communist Party-controlled China. And therefore, the country has no other option but to get into it, uh, realizing that uh, public inquiry, our standard, are very high. It has to be proven beyond level of doubt, and uh, you have to have evidence and all these. And in the intelligence circle, uh, things are not necessarily as black and white, um, therefore, I, I think the, the public inquiry would, would at least, uh, you know, demonstrably uh, to tell Canadians how bad and how wide and how deep the problem is. Mm-hmm. Um, it, this, this will at least give us um, the, the wake-up call that is much uh, overdue. Okay. Is this a, is this a, a very concerning time, a frightening time, a fearful time for, for many um, Canadians of Chinese origin or who have ties to Hong Kong or to mainland China with family there. Is this, a, is this an alarming time? And do you believe that members of parliament and other elected officials in this country have been compromised by Beijing? Ooh, that's uh, highly speculative. I don't have, I don't have much uh, proof and evidence, but just based on... Or will, they have, will China have tried? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. They they you know across the country, uh, they have been through their um, proxy organizations, been supporting lower level governments, uh, candidates, uh, in school boards, in city councils, and in provincial legislature, and these are exactly what they what they are. And remember, keep in mind that they play a long game, um, so they they want to build a relationship. A, a grooming process with some of these um, uh, politicians, and therefore, by the time they they get to a federal level, then they will be able to exert certain level of influence. Now, Roy, I always um, bring bring up one point that is critical. We, as a as a multicultural country, as as Canada, we have Chinese who has been living in in Canada, uh, you know, with generations. Uh, you know, over decades, if not over a hundred years, and and but you know, China, they are trying to propagate and manipulate these same uh, ethnic Chinese people to believe that they are the ones who can advocate and res- uh, represent their interests in Canada, trying to tear them and split them from from the Canadian fabric, and this is destroying our mutual trust. And so, one thing that uh, every Canadian can do. It's not to question your neighbor just because he or she is, you know, of, of ethnic Chinese or Asian. Because the CCP, it's very cunning. They're very smart. They know that uh, they, they will go to anybody who has power, not necessarily just ethnic, not ethnic lines or ideology, you know, being conservative or liberals. But they will use any, any cracks that they can find. However... They keep telling the Chinese people in Canada that this is anti-Asian racism. If you start questioning 
uh, about their their work in Canada, and therefore trying to get uh, the ethnic Chinese community to, to be on their side. Um, they are praying and hoping that there will be some some actions that are are you know discriminatory against uh, the Chinese community, and therefore w- they will be able to reinforce this um, narrative that they are trying to preach. So. But- one thing as, as Canada, our country, uh, that we stand together and present a united front against this false narrative and present them something that uh, will unite all people, including and especially our, our Asian communities. Okay, so before we talk to the beauties about the public inquiry, which now appears to be uh, on the rails... With everybody trying to score an empty net goal, well, the liberals are trying to make, trying to blame the conservatives for there being no public inquiry, which is, uh, if you've been following this, and I'm sure you have, is pretty much an insult to your intelligence. Anyway, yesterday I, I put this on Twitter. Perfect response. At Justin Trudeau, informing premiers during televised meeting about carbon tax rebate. At Brad Wall, 306, paraphrasing. So, Saskatchewan farmers will pay the carbon tax, then your government will send them rebate checks for the tax they paid. What's the point? So, I was paraphrasing what the Premier said. We were able to find, from 2015, the exchange between the Prime Minister of this country and the Premier of Saskatchewan. Tom, play it. Well, the, the fact is that any revenue collected in the provinces will be returned to those provinces and uh, the premiers uh, can uh, give uh, bonuses to farmers, can give rebates to farmers, can uh, address the concerns of their population uh, whichever way uh, they see uh, fit. I think it's extremely important that the federal government recognize the need for this flexibility uh, and uh, that's why the fact that the revenue Revenue uh, from uh, the price on carbon pollution will stay uh, within uh, their uh, within the jurisdiction in which it's collected, and uh, the way it is returned to citizens will be determined uh, by the people who serve them directly, their premiers. So, I could, if I could give all the money back to the he's paid in carbon taxes or she's paid in carbon taxes, what's the point? How does that change behavior? I guess that's the other concern we have. So 58 seconds from 2015, you know, once we say it, we got it. Once you say it, we have it. Then in 2018, <laughs> Brad Wall on Twitter, at BradWall306, that would be the Saskatchewan area code, he tweeted this, usually when someone tells you to send in money, but you'll get more money back in return, it's a Nigerian prince. <laughs> Hashtag carbon tax. All right, let's talk to the beauties. Catherine Swift joins us, president and CEO of CCNBC. Uh, Linda Leatherdale. What does Linda do again? What do you do, Linda? Well, I'm still a vice president with Cambria. I know that. I just forgot the name of your company. <laughs> Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. It's great to talk to you, Roy. Catherine, what does CCNBC mean? Oh, Co- Coalition of Concerned Manufacturers and Businesses Canada. You're still listening. You're still thinking about the Brad Wall response to Justin <laughs> Trudeau. Well, I, I remember seeing that so well. And, and Brad and I have, have uh, exchanged you know views on Twitter a number of times. 
And when I saw that, I thought it was just perfect. But it also showed at the time when when the carbon tax was new, of course, we, we heard all this malarkey about, oh, you'll you'll get back as much or maybe more than you paid in because taxes always work that way, as we know. Uh, but of course, it's been disproven that they lied through their teeth time and time again. And I, I regret Brad is no longer in politics because he was a common sense guy. Yeah, really he was. Head on his shoulders he still is. And I, I'm sad he's no longer in politics. Yeah. His response was perfect. Yeah. Then what's the point? What's the point? <laughs> I will never forget that. I was watching television. I just started to laugh. <laughs> There'll be no comeback from Mr. Trudeau. Well. There'll be no comeback. <laughs> Michelle uh, Michelle Simpson, former Liberal Member of Parliament. She was actually the seatmate, as you know, if you listen to this program, seatmate to Justin Trudeau in Parliament for question period, which was an amazing experience. Michelle's going to write a book about one day. Um, I've committed you to it now. Michelle, how do you think how do you think Mr. Trudeau would have responded to Brad Wall? Just I remember him looking up over his left shoulder at the Prime Minister and saying, well, What's the point? Knowing and he would have done a lot of the breathy, huh, well, huh, huh. and every time he did that, you knew that he was stumped when, when he speaks like that in this breathy tone. Um, it would have been something as convoluted as his original statement. That's all I can say. That was quite the, uh, quite the position that he put forward. He had a lot of trouble getting his, his point out and his thought across with the premiers. He had lots of time to prepare. So if we go back, we're not going to play it again right now, but we'll play it again sometime. But, maybe maybe again this weekend. But he really didn't sound terribly convinced. Never mind convincing. He didn't sound convinced. Because it was garbage. It was. I mean, that's, that's all there is to it. That's such a great line. What's the point? <laughs> Okay, so what's the point of a public inquiry? And what's the point of it happening in the near future? And what's the point of Justin Trudeau having accused Pierre Polyev and the Conservatives of having um, engineered the delay in, uh, in the, in the uh, public inquiry? Linda, what, what's the point? Oh, well, exactly. But another scandal on Trudeau's behalf. Like, give us a break. This should have been instantaneous. And then, I love one of your expressions, but my expressions, yeah, and I came down Lake Ontario in a bathtub that he's blaming the Conservatives now. Like, what? You, you know, democracy is very fragile around the world, and we know it. And the attack is very serious. And to have stalled on this... And we're the taxpayers of this country. We're Trudeau's boss. We wanted an inquiry and to put Dave Johnson on it and then look at he quits. Like, okay, Roy, just another scandal and we're not going to buy it. No, and 67% of uh, Canadians very early on told pollsters, Catherine, that it was time for a public inquiry. We know how essential it is because now Beijing, through its branch office in Hong Kong, is putting bounties on Canadian citizens. And that's been going on for a while, too. Well, when I saw that they finally caved, and let's not forget that this liberal government fought having a public inquiry into that horrible mass murder in Nova Scotia back in 2020. And finally, public opinion was such that they had to capitulate because everybody was disgusted. And, and, and interestingly enough, that public inquiry ended up having the head of the RCMP resign, Brenda Lucky. So that were, I think it was called retire, but let's face it. You know, because we saw she did a terrible job of the inquiry. She did a terrible job of the inquiry. She did a terrible job. It was disgusting. And of course, they, she also was politically compromised. 
because she said she was, you know, talking about the rifles and, and guns used in that horrible incident uh, so that the liberals would get support for gun control, which is disgusting for a body that's supposedly, you know, arm's length independent. But I, I don't trust these liberals at all. I don't think any Canadian has any reason to trust them. They've lied so often. They've been dishonest so often. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to see how this rolls out before I assume we're actually going to have a public inquiry. See who's put in charge of it. That'll be interesting. But the fact that the Liberals were trying to blame the Conservatives is laughable. I mean, this is the, the only people that can call it are the Liberals, no matter what. And the Conservatives were co cooperating pretty much as best as they could, as were the other opposition parties, to be fair. So uh, it's it's only it, it, all it tells me, Roy, is, first of all, the liberals, th this particular liberal government polls frantically. Every every government polls. So let's not fool ourselves. But they're, they poll frantically on every little minuscule issue. Uh, and they must have had they must have heard a lot of negatives coming back from Canadians about not having a public inquiry on this hugely important issue. I mean, compromising our democracy. That's that's kind of not chump change here, yeah, you know? Exactly. So they must have ultimately responded to that. But they're, these days, they look like they're campaigning every day. They, they, they were, fr they've been frantic on all the different. Well, the polling numbers, the polling numbers don't favor them. We'll be talking to Daryl Bricker about that from Ipsos later no. this hour. No, but that's why to my mind, they're, they're kind of hyper, hyperactive. In, in all these different, the some of the pride stuff was so over the top. And let's not forget Marcy Yen's menstruation bracelet. I, I still laugh every time I think of that, that they thought that was a good idea. Uh, they, they just seem, they, they seem manic is what they seem right now, Roy. And and I'm, I'm afraid this public inquiry is going to be a public circus. Michelle, what are you expecting to see develop? as far as politi the politics of this situation is concerned now, because this is an important time for the political parties to gain public support or gain traction. That's what they're thinking. What do you expect from the Liberals? Uh, unfortunately, more of the same. Um, as soon as I heard that Justin Trudeau had appointed a special rapporteur, uh, that was a fancy, he fancies that he's smarter than everyone in the room. And so that was like, you know, uh, that was a red flag to me. And then when it was David Johnson, he thought he was too cute by half by picking someone that had been the governor general appointed by the conservatives. The problem is he doesn't think things through, in my opinion. It's all about surface. It's all about, it's superficial and he figures he can skate by on that. So is he, without a question in your mind, the shot caller on everything that happens for the Liberal Party and the Liberal government? Um, not necessarily everyone, but he certainly gives a nod to all of this. Okay. Like the boys in the short pants and the PMO, you know, they're, you know, they give him ideas. And if you don't have a lot of depth, it's easy to get... Um, sidetracked by um, a sleight of hand that yeah. Canadians are too smart for now. You know, we've been exposed to it for some time, so we're, right. we, we can see it coming, right? We, we know what it is. Before, yep. before it even starts, we know what's coming. Yep. Linda, what are you expecting if a public inquiry happens? What, do you, what, do you, what are you expecting? I mean, who would you, let me ask you this. Who do you think, what kind of person do you think should head a public inquiry? 
somebody with integrity and honesty, and I'm saying that's very hard to find, Roy. Um, I think Catherine used the word circus, or maybe you did, but I'm fearful that this is going to turn into a circus. And um, again, th- th- there should have been no hesitation on this. It should have been done. Um, I think what's going on, Roy, and if I can just sort of switch it, switch it up, I think the average Canadian who's been in this beautiful country for as long as I have is fed up with the mainstream politics. Uh, it seems to me that it doesn't matter who, like, hold your nose and vote, but when it's a conservative or a liberal and too much time in power, we end up with scandal after scandal after scandal. Everybody seems to have their fingers in the cookie jar or the taxpayers, piggies at the tax trough. They, all, they, they spend our money ruthlessly. So I think it's time to rethink the two-party system because, yes, we have the NDP. But Yeah. yeah. Um, Catherine, so it's uh, same show, uh, new actors. Same show, new actors. And people are wise to it, and maybe that's why we have such an unsatisfactory number of Canadians voting in federal elections. But who do you think would be, or what kind of person is it going to take to lead a public inquiry and satisfy the people of this country that it's the right person at the right time? It's a very good question, and I, I was thinking about it too, Roy. And first of all, I think that there should be, uh, it shouldn't only be chosen by liberals, there should be other party participation. And it's, it's not just one person leading it. They should have a, um, a panel of, say, three to five people. Uh, but, you know, one liberal whose name has been bandied about that I would actually trust is Erwin Kotler. He was oh, a, yeah. a, immensely effective uh, very neutrally. I mean, yeah, he was partisan. He was a liberal, but he I think he's a stellar guy. And to me, that would be someone who should join it. People like uh, people like some of these former um, Supreme Court justices, uh, Louise Arbour and um, um, the uh, Beverly Laughlin over in uh, Hong Kong right now sitting on, you know, enabling China to take over Hong Kong. Uh, no, they, they would be absolutely awful. But it, 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 I think every party should be able to choose or have input into who's chosen to be on this. And instead of having one party, they should have a panel. But one other issue I wanted to mention, Roy, in terms of election interference, what a disgrace the CBC is and what they did to Danielle Smith, a dishonest story that they didn't apologize for until after that provincial election. They should be ashamed of themselves. The letters, the supposed, was the supposed outlet. It was the supposed emails to the prosecutors, shift. right? It's the story of the supposed emails sent to the prosecutors, which the prosecutors exactly. said, said right away, we never got any of this. That's right. And, and but they but they let that hang out there before her provincial election. Thank goodness she won the election. And as you know, I worked with Danielle, so I know her well. But uh, I, I, when I saw how absolutely dishonest they'd been, and they get a hundred, a, a billion, four hundred million from us taxpayers, what a what a absolutely disgusting institution they've become. Sadly. So now you've switched us off the public inquiry. <laughs> now you've got us on well, no, defund the CBC. No, no, I, no, look at I get it. When it's I saw that story, I get, I know, I know. When I saw that story, Catherine, I'm right with you. I said, "Wow, you knew this was wrong." And you did nothing about it until right. after the election because you wanted it to hang out there as a potential uh, distraction for the voters of Alberta. Yeah, that was the objective. Precisely. Michelle, how often Shame does that happen? In, how often does Shame that happen in politics, Michelle? Oh, all the time. And how they bury stories Friday afternoon at 5 o'clock and they sneak things through. It's just, it, it is quite awful. 
Okay. Uh, Linda, we have 20 seconds. They're, they're all yours. Take them wherever you want. Well, she just hit it. That's not democracy when they sneak in uh, bills, et cetera, like at the uh, 5 o'clock on a Friday, and we, the taxpayers, don't have to say, you know, again, Roy, let's think of a new political system. There's a party out there called Consensus. It's more Northwest Territories has it, where you don't vote for the party, you vote for the person. I think we need to change our political plan. Okay. all right. We're joined uh, once again by our good friend, former Ukrainian ambassador, Oleksandr Sherba, and uh, he's the author as well of Ukraine versus Darkness. Oleksandr, how are you? How are things in Ukraine today? How would you describe your country today? Well, it was a very special day today. Today is 500th uh, day of this horrific war. Uh, today is uh, 50th birthday of the general that is admired and adored uh, throughout the country, General Zaluzhny, our commander-in-chief, uh, who is basically, um, well, he is the leader of our army in this war. And today, uh, President Zelensky, probably because it's 500th day, uh, he wanted to do something, something symbolic. He visited this uh, legendary uh, snake island or serpent island in Black Sea. And uh, uh, today, tonight, uh, the number of field commanders uh, that were captured by Russia in uh, uh, Mariupol and spent some time in Turkey are returning back as heroes to Ukraine. So it's a very special day. It is a very special day. And Snake Island, for the listeners who may not be aware, is where the Ukrainian border guards were confronted by the uh, Russian battleship. And uh, the battleship uh, commander ordered them to to uh, surrender, and they told the battleship commander what he could do. And uh, were they all killed, um, Alexander, or did some of them survive? No, actually, uh, Russians were trying to use it for propaganda purposes. After all, they they have been uh, heavily uh, shelled by the Russian, uh, you know, this warship. And a number of them died. A number of them uh, were uh, did get captured uh, by the Russians after all. Uh, but uh, this uh, <laughs> phrase that they coined in, I think it was the first or second day of the war, it became the became the uh, slogan of Ukrainian army and Ukrainian nation. Um, so. Uh, uh, the Russian propaganda failed once again. Yes, and that battle cruiser was ultimately sunk. Uh, Absolutely, yeah, it was, and it was sunk uh, symbolically on the day when uh, Ukrainian Post uh, uh, issued uh, a postal mark with this same phrase that was uh, coined by uh, these uh, brave Ukrainian uh, Marines. So there are so many, you know, symbolic things about this. But of course, this uh, Moscow warship is. Uh, on the bottom uh, of Black Sea, where it belongs. Where it belongs. And I would imagine most of our listeners can probably imagine what the phrase was. Now, if you look back to the very beginnings of that, uh, of the Russian invasion, Alexander, and the common thought was, oh, the Russians will be in Kiev in three days, maybe four, no more than that. What were your expectations at that time? 500 days ago, what was your expectation? Uh, well, on the night uh, before uh, this invasion, uh, I was given an interview, I think, to BBC, 
And stupidly enough, I was saying I don't believe uh, because uh, in this uh, that he would uh, dare it because it would be uh, the most unpopular war in Russian's history because it would be a war between people who have relatives on both sides who have the same first and last names. And I was wrong on both both counts. Uh, he did dare this uh, to start start this uh, unwinnable war because Ukraine cannot be uh, conquered. Ukraine can can only be killed and and, and, and and annihilated. And second of all, unfortunately, it's still rather popular war in Russia, and it's still incomprehensible for me. How can Russia feel that way? Yeah, five hundred days. Just think about that, folks. 500 days. You think about Ukraine and Ukrainian cities. They're very much like, or were, very much like Canadian cities are today. The way of life, very very similar. So as you look down the street, whether you're in a residential area or a commercial area, that's the way Ukrainian cities looked prior to Putin's invasion. Some of them still look largely that way. Others have been completely razed to the ground. Um, again, let me take you back to the beginning, Alexander. You're very familiar with what goes on in diplomatic circles. You were a Ukrainian ambassador to Austria, part of the diplomatic mission to the United States, and an ambassador at large in 2014 after the first Russian invasion. Did you have a sense, were you optimistic that the West, the NATO countries, would stand up and provide to Ukraine as much military material as they have? Were you confident that would happen? No, I wasn't. I wasn't confident because uh, uh, when uh, after the annexation of Crimea, the United States and the West uh, showed weakness and showed basically um, that uh, it's ready to forgive uh, Russia quite a lot. And uh, I wasn't sure whether it would be the case once again. But I was uh, very, my, my hope was very, and optimism was very reinforced after a meeting with Ukrainian veteran that they had a couple of days before the invasion. He said, let them, let them start, let them uh, try it. Uh, they, will, they won't see the end of it and asked why. And he said, you know what, I was uh, a veteran. I was, I was in the first part of this war in 2014-15 uh, when the... Uh, military, uh, you know, combat uh, was was very active in Ukraine's east. Uh, and he says, we there are around 150,000, 200,000 people like me in this country, people with experience, people who are looking forward uh, to uh, beat them and to uh, liberate our land. And it's not a small number, 200,000 people. He said, uh, uh, once uh, this whole thing starts, I know where to go. I know where my weapons, my, my, my arms are. Uh, I know where we meet with our comrades. And we know uh, what to do every step of the, day, of the way. We are ready. And this meeting gave me really, you know, confidence that there are these courageous, uh, great, uh, able uh, soldiers in Ukraine that can surprise the world. And uh, this is what we saw in the weeks afterwards. Uh, they really surprised the world with their courage. And in the weeks afterwards, Ukraine essentially fought on its own, right? I mean, there were javelin, uh, anti-tank um, missiles, or what do they call them? Uh, 
anti-tank weapons. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they were they were they were issued to uh, or brought to the Ukraine in large numbers. But you didn't have anywhere near the weaponry you have now, and you were facing the might of the full Russian army, and the Ukrainian military pushed them back. The Russians got to within, what, 30, 40 kilometers of Kiev with this massive convoy, and we saw the, uh, the video evidence of it, and that it stalled. And it stalled because your military stalled them by blowing them up, and uh, they lost their stomach for the fight. Absolutely. The, uh, first of all, they were 20 kilometers from Kiev. They were very, very 20 kilometers from Kiev downtown. So they were very, very close. Uh, and uh, the good thing about them is that they were absolutely uh, not ready to face Ukrainian resistance. They were, you know, uh, they, had the, they have this imperial hubris. They are the empire. And we are just the... Uh, country folk who won't be able to fight. We are just like, you know, like in this movie, Braveheart, we are the uh, villagers and they are the empire. And uh, it turned out the uh, quote-unquote villagers uh, could uh, kick their butts big time. Yeah, you did. And you still are. So day 500, uh, Alexander, and you've got the Russians, you've got them stopped, and you're taking territory back that belongs to you. How well is the counteroffensive going? And I understand that Germany has committed to a, another shipment, a large shipment of battle tanks. Well, these last couple of weeks, you know, uh, it was the testament to this uh, well-known truth that uh, war is uh, 90% hard work. And um, this was the hard work of Ukrainian troops, you know, uh, regaining control of our territory one meter at a time, one kilometer at a time. There have been reports about progress on this and that direction, but uh, no big uh, gains like uh, we knew them and we saw them uh, last September. Uh, nevertheless, uh, we are absolutely uh, confident that uh, the momentum is on our side and we once we get these uh, cluster munitions, for instance, we won't uh, do it like Russians who use them against uh, uh, our cities like Kharkiv. We know how uh, Kharkiv was uh, bombarded with cluster munitions. We will use them on the Russians' positions. Russians had, unfortunately, plenty of time to get ready for this counteroffensive. So this couple of... Two, these two last weeks uh, weren't uh, um, uh, very, uh, you know, uh, uh, rich with uh, good positive news uh, from Ukraine. There were a couple of, you know, this and that video about Ukraine, about Russian trenches being captured and uh, uh, Russian munitions being captured by our troops. And there have been uh, some videos on the Russian side about, you know, Ukrainian uh, tanks uh, or being hit uh, by uh, their kamikaze drones. Therefore, you know, this decision by Germany to give more tanks is, of course, very timely. Yeah. Uh, I, I saw a video that you posted of a Russian munitions depot that was hit by uh, HIMARS uh, rockets from yeah. Ukraine. And it was quite the light show. I mean, it was uh, it was like a Fourth of July fireworks show, except it was wasn't really a fireworks show. It was fireworks, but it wasn't a show. Uh, take us inside. You understand the halls of power extremely well. 
And I'm sure that you have a good idea of what's going on inside the Kremlin, particularly after Prigozhin and the Wagner group came to within 200, within 200 kilometers of Moscow, really, just days ago. Is Putin in serious difficulty still inside Russia? Well, judging from the number of... Uh uh, videos of Putin with uh, hugging babies and kissing uh, uh, some grandmas uh, that is being feverishly published by produced by Russian propaganda. There, there is really, you know, the feeling of uh, his uh, popularity in need of, you know, some patch-up job. Um, uh, uh, I think that uh, he has been humiliated. He, may, he has been humiliating, humiliated greatly. Um, he, it, he has been humiliated today, for instance, when uh, uh, despite uh, allegedly uh, some agreements between uh, Russia and Turkey, these Ukrainian field commanders have been released uh, for Ukraine. So um, there is this feeling of uh, uncertainty there in Moscow. The good news for uh, Putin is, of course, that uh, the big majority of Russians, even uh, despite the fact that they are disappointed with their beloved Führer personally, um, they are still very inactive and very passive. Okay, but I found out uh, a few weeks ago, I wasn't sure about this, uh, I'd read something about it, but I understand that there are actual Russian military units or members of, former members of military units, Russians, who are fighting alongside Ukraine that they are actually, they've crossed the border into Russia and they're fighting alongside your, your Ukrainian troops. Is that true? Yes, it's called uh, uh, Russian Volunteers Corps. Uh, and they have been entering um, uh, Russian territory near Belgorod. They have captured a couple of uh, small towns in that area. Um, but then uh, pulled back to Ukraine, and uh, as uh, it happens uh, today, they announced that in the near couple of days there will be yet another incursion on the Russian territory so that they don't uh, feel too relaxed. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.